grab your coat and get your hat. Leave your worry on the doorstep. Just direct your feet to the sunny side of the street. Welcome to Ken's Bulls and Bears Report. This is Ken Roberts on 1180 AM KCKQ. Thanks for tuning in today. I'll be speaking with Paul Merriman. Please remember that opinions expressed here for educational purposes, for specific investment advice, consult your own advisor. Good morning, Paul. How are you today? Thanks for joining me. It's great to be back, Ken. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I really enjoy interviewing you. Your website is just full of wonderful information for the from the average investor to the very sophisticated advanced investor and I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of it personally and it's all Well, you're very kind. Thank you. You're welcome. It's all free too. You can get free free books, the podcasts if you want education and I think education's the key today. It's a complex world we live in. This is an excellent source right here. Can you tell people how to find your website before we get into some questions? If they just go either to paulmerriman.com or they can go to twofundsforlife.com. Either way will get you to my website. Okay. Let's start off talking about retirement, if you don't mind. Um, taking money out of retirement plan, maybe it's one thing to build it up, but then when you start taking those distributions, you, you better have a plan. Do you think it's better to have variable or fixed distributions from your portfolio? Well, let me talk about the variable versus fixed. I've sure. been literally writing annually about this topic for, I think, over 15 years, Ken. Mm. Okay. And, and so it is, I think, one of the biggest decisions that we make because we quit working, theoretically, mm -hmm. and we start taking money out. And if we don't right. take it out in the best way, maybe we either don't take out enough or we take out too much. And when I think of somebody who's going to take a fixed amount out, it says that they need a certain level of income out of their out of their investments, mm -hmm. and they're going to have to adjust that income each year for inflation. And if they don't adjust for inflation, it means they're willing to change their lifestyle over time. But it's for people who have that, for, that famous word, enough. On the other hand, the people who have oversaved have more than enough. They have this wonderful luxury of being able to kind of adjust to the market. If the market goes up, they take more. If the market mm -hmm. goes down, they take less. They're already taking out more than they need. And by doing that, and this just still, it blows my mind what a difference it makes. It is a great defensive move to be able to reduce the amount of money you take out in the bad times and take out more in the good times. And that's the luxury of being able to, to take this variable distribution. And by the way, but what I mean by that is that, for example, my wife and I, and, and I'm 75, Ken, and mm -hmm. we take out 5% a year. Okay. The, the first week of each year. If the market has gone up the previous year, we get 5% of that number. If the market's got down, gone down, we take a cut in pay, and we take 5% of that lower number. Okay. It's a great defensive strategy. Okay. 
that that makes a lot of sense to me and having it's so important to have a plan because people it's kind of can be easy to overspend and also if we get an inflationary period maybe your distribution plans aren't keeping up with cost of living so it's important to understand that what what could you do to get the best of both worlds between fixed and variable distributions oh that's <laughs> that, you know, I, I've got an idea. Okay. Uh, and I don't know that many people would do this, but here's the idea that would kind of be in between. Let's say you need the 4%, and therefore you need uh, that inflation adjuster. Maybe if the market, let's say, is up less than 8%, you take the 4 you take the inflation adjustment, if it is more than 8%, then maybe what you do is you take advantage of those good times and you increase that year's uh, distribution by some amount uh, so that when you're really having great returns, you take a little extra. Uh, and certainly another possibility is let's say you start out of at 4% of a million, just to make it a round number. Sure. 4% of a million. Let's say that grows to a million and a quarter. Well, you may now have more than you need. So you take out four and a quarter. Let's say it grows to a million five. You take out 4.5. You adjust your distribution upwards as the pool continues to grow. And you can imagine, Ken, over the last 10 years, with the market being up 441% as of last Friday, you would have gotten some nice increases in your distributions if you had equities as a part of your portfolio. Okay. That makes sense, too. We've been in a long-running bull market here, and you need to be, you need to have protection against inflation and something that can keep up and outpace it. So that makes a lot of sense to me. But you know something, that word protection, mm-hmm. that's the sleep easy. I never sleep easy with stock. I don't care how high or low. I never yeah. feel very comfortable with stocks. But I've got the bond. We've got the bonds there to sleep easy. And even if we if 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 we had a three or four years bad years in the market, we still got plenty of money in bonds to see us through. Right, and and that makes sense to have some and adjust periodically to be, you know, more conservative as you age and you know have money in safer things. But then the the yields today are fairly low, so you have to ex- expect that and be realistic with what the returns are going to be. But these well, uh, and I think you know, there are people you, you read them as well as I do that say, no, 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 you just you need to be in stocks as you get older. In fact, yeah. you should be more in stocks as you get older. I just don't buy that, and the reason I don't is because I have seen the look in the eyes of people when they've got too much inequities and the market is falling and there's, they focus on all the bad news instead of the good news, mm-hmm. and it creates trauma when trauma was not necessary. Good point. Unable to listen to the whole show? A recording of today's program will be available later today. Visit americamatters.us and click on the podcast link. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Ken's Bulls and Bears Report. This is Ken Roberts on 1180 AM KCKQ speaking with Paul Merriman. And, Paul, we started off, you know, talking about distributions and asset allocation. There's something relatively new out there. It's called the FIRE movement. What's the FIRE movement? 
I love this, Ken. The, uh-huh. the, you're going to, if you haven't met some of these young people that are part of the FIRE movement, I, I hope you do. These are generally young people who are on a mission okay. to, uh, to retire at a young age. It's the financial, there's the F, independence, the I, uh-huh. retire, the R, and that is early. Retire early. And the day that you get fired is the day you have enough money to walk out the door. Now, obviously, these are not people who love their jobs, I would say. Right. But, but who, who really, if you think about it, uh, we're raised uh, uh, to be so involved in this commercial uh, operation that capitalism could be. And these are people who are trying their best not to get caught up in that that uh, competitive spirit, to, mm-hmm. to, to be competitive with your neighbors, what you wear, what you drive, what yeah. where, where you travel. And I, I just get a kick out of them. I wanted to retire when I was 40, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to retire to, to, to stop working. I just wanted to retire to do exactly as I pleased. Which, that's when I started my investment management firm. I see. And, uh, and so I know the feeling of wanting to be your own boss, and and I love it. Uh, but but uh, this is a serious business. In fact, I'm going to a movie tonight that is sold out here in Seattle, and it's called Playing with Fire. And I, I hope your listeners get a chance to see that uh, when it comes to your theaters there, because uh, it, it it's a great story. And uh, now, by the way, my hope is my kids are not going to see it uh, <laughs> and decide to move in with me so they can save money for an early retirement. Okay. That, that's the other side of fire. I see. The parents have got to be ready for a big adjustment. Okay. But the movies that... But it's legitimate. It, it uh-huh. is legitimate. And, and you know what these young people are doing? They are learning the right basics of investing, keep the expenses low, yeah. uh, all the things, diversification, because they're trying to get to that point that they have enough money and and to feel safe in that money they have to take out that magic 4% a year to live on. Now, I'll tell you, mm-hmm. and you know this, Ken, if you're sitting with a client who wants to retire at 40 and they're not retiring with more than enough. They're retiring with enough. They got fifty years potentially to have to make their way through this. Uh, uh, who knows what's going to happen? Country sure. and economy. And so I worry. But you know something? These are people who know how to live on less. These are people who are willing to work hard if they have to. I'm talking about people saving fifty percent of what they make every year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we don't see many people doing that. In fact, no. we're amazed when they save 5%. Yeah. People tend to overspend. That's very common. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, what do you tell your clients? How much are you encouraging young people to save for retirement? You know, I, I encourage them to save as much as they can. And at a minimum, you know, if, of course, if they have an employer match on their retirement plan, at a minimum, get it enough in that 401k or other form 403b to get the match from the employer because that's money on the table you can't afford to leave behind. And the, yeah, and I, I've even encouraged young people to, if they can, 
to convince their parents that uh, if they're having to spend all their money repaying student loans, mm-hmm. convince their parents to loan them some money to at least be able to pick up that match and then mm-hmm. pay the parents back later. Of course, parents say, oh, yeah, sure, I'm getting that money back. But <laughs> but yeah, I think that we really do have to, to, to pull out all the stops in trying to get that money matched, yeah. that, that free money. Yeah. And especially if they will start early, a lot of the young the people in their 20s don't even think about retirement, but if they, the compounding factor, if they can just understand the compounding factor of the investments and get that early start, that makes a big difference. Well, and if you think about it, the last 10 years, huge in the market. And of course, we want mm-hmm. young people to be in equities and to take the risk of equities. Right. But... If they had started when they when they were let's say twenty one or twenty two, and they rode that wave, think about all the people who missed that wave. Mm-hmm. That was a game changer, and nobody knew it was coming. And that's why I really believe that young people have got to make an extra effort to make that early start. You're right on, I think, in encouraging them to do that. Mm-hmm. And in an awareness of the volatility of the market and you know when we get into the next bear market the next down cycle dollar cost average in and keep keep buying but don't uh don't let your emotions get to you there because you have to be aware of the we've seen two 50 percent downturns in the last 20 years yep. and uh yeah there's probably another and one in the future a, at some point of course and and there's a great story to be told about the market from 1929 to 1938 it was a terrible market. Yes, there were some good up years. Mm-hmm. But if you had $1,000 at the beginning of that 10-year period, and you were, let's say, in small cap value, it's an asset class that I like a lot for the long term, right. you would have been down more than 50% by the end of that 10-year period. But mm-hmm. if you took that same $1,000 and you dollar cost average one year at a time, you had about an 11% compound rate of return plus mm-hmm. positive and 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 then ready for the wave of of good really great years after that so so dollar cost averaging like you say bear markets are a blessing mm-hmm. to young people when they're when they're just getting started yeah that makes a lot of sense that you average into the market and when it's time to retire you average out of it and you could you get get through these downturns. How does the fire? How does fire pertain to retirement investment strategies? You know that's the fascinating part to me because okay. it is so easy for me to give advice to uh, pe- people who are retiring at a at a normal age. Uh huh. But if if I had a client, and I'm no longer an advisor, so I don't have any clients. But mm-hmm. if I had one that wanted to retire at age forty. I would probably encourage them to to have more than just the amount that would allow them to to live off of that four percent. Now, mm-hmm. the challenge here is is they might retire at forty and everything is just ducky until they're fifty. Right. And by the time they're fifty, if they have to go back into the workforce, it might not be as easy as it would have been if things didn't go well right away when they were closer to forty. So there are a lot of risks that come along with uh, that early retirement, including health risks in yeah. terms of 
of the cost of insurance mm-hmm. and uh, and and just the unknown. I right. I look at all of the things that happened in my life that I I just did not think would happen to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and of course nowadays I'm a I'm a guy with four stents, uh, high blood pressure. Uh, a high cholesterol, diabetes. Mm-hmm. I got everything, not everything wrong that I could have. I've got a lot of stuff. But with modern medicine, they can keep you alive for a long time. That's true. And so I've got to be prepared to live much longer than I would have in the past. So yeah. I worry about these people retiring early. But but you know something? I think that they are they are so, so uh, self uh, what's the word? They have the self-confidence that they can do it. So yeah. they're folks willing to sacrifice. And you know something? When you're willing to sacrifice, you can make it through almost anything. Mm-hmm. That 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 makes a lot of sense. And if people, at least if they have a have a plan and want to start early and save the money and the plan to retire early, they you know they can they have a shot at it. And they can always you know one thing that works for some people too is to retire from that job that's kind of a grind but maybe work part-time at something you enjoy and that extra income can help quite a bit just for some extra cash flow my wife and i just went up to canada to visit some friends uh that have been clients since the late 80s Uh when i was in the business and they're still with my old old firm but but they retired at age 48 wow and they did all the things the fire people talk about i think they Lived on one salary but made two. Mm-hmm. They bought used cars. In fact, they bought Volks, used Volkswagens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lived in very modest homes while their friends had big homes and mm-hmm. and big lifestyles. They 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 camped instead of staying in fancy hotels. Yeah. And now they're in their late seventies, and uh, and and they're still doing smart things. They have traded. Exchanged their house 118 times. Wow. 108. They have traveled the world uh, exchanging their house for uh, the homes of others. It, huh. In fact, when I, we saw them in Canada, they were on Horseshoe Bay, this beautiful home with a big pool, and it was an exchange for their home in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico, where they live now. So. Uh-huh. So if you want to be clever, boy, you can make money go a, a long, long way. Right. And that you, you, the key is education. Like you said, be clever, come up with ideas that live the lifestyle you want, and you can do things that are relatively affordable. Stay tuned. We're going to take a quick commercial break here and be back with more from Paul Merriman. Get down to Midtown. Midtown matters. Dragonfly's Mike and Lauren have a fantastic variety of products created by Lauren and many local folks. Handcrafted candles, soaps, lip balms, moisturizing creams, and lotions. Personally build your own essential body sprays and experience their bath and shower aroma therapy bombs. Mention this ad and receive $5 off your $20 purchase. Visit Dragonfly Bath and Body at 728 South Virginia Street or online at dragonflybath.com. Your body will thank you. 
Have you, a friend or family member, been diagnosed with cancer? Dr. Forsyth at the Forsyth Cancer Care Center offers an all-inclusive program to treat adult types of cancer. The Forsyth Immune Protocol Cancer Treatment Plan, in a current prospective study of over six and a half years and 1,200 adult cancer patients, has produced a remarkable 30 times greater survival statistic when compared to conventional full-dose chemotherapy. Greater than 95% of all their patients choose low-dose insulin-potentiated life chemotherapy using only 10 to 15 percent chemotherapy dosing with insulin. Dr. Forsyth has long been considered one of the most respected physicians in the United States, particularly for his treatment of cancer and the legal use of human growth hormone. Located in Reno, Nevada, Dr. Forsyth has seen patients from all over the world. To schedule your consultation today, call 775-827-0707. That number again is 775-827-0707. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that's just got me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Veterans Outreach is a program sponsored by Nonprofit Assistance League Reno Sparks, supports homeless veterans and their families. Working with the Homeless Veterans Project, the VA Hospital, homebound veterans and women veterans, they provide warm coats, bus passes, housewares, bedding, baby items, and other essentials. These services are funded through sales at the Assistance League Thrift Shop, 1701 Vassar Street in Reno. Open 10 to 4, Monday through Saturday. Hey, lady, what's for lunch today? Out to lunch, Mondays at noon, 1180 KCKQ, a production of America Matters Media. To join the conversation, call 844-790-TALK. That's 844-790-8255. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Ken's Bulls and Bears Report. This is Ken Roberts on 1180 AM KCKQ, speaking with Paul Merriman. And, Paul, uh, you've got a, a strategy that people should be aware of, and it's called the ultimate buy-and-hold strategy. What's the key to that? Well, the purpose of the ultimate buy-and-hold strategy, when I first wrote about it uh, 20 years ago, maybe, uh, was to show folks how by using different equity asset classes, some more risky than others, you could build a portfolio that historically made more money but did not increase the risk of the of, of the portfolio because they didn't all go up and down together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like this year uh, through Friday, the S&P 500 is up about, I think, 18% for the year. Right. Small cap value is up about 12 
Right. Uh, REITs are up about 22. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these different you know, ups and downs, and by combining them, and I'm talking about equity asset classes that have a long history of success okay. with periods, long periods of underperformance, too. So this is not like everything's going right all the time. Sure. But that that you put these together and you could probably add 1% to 2% to your return, like you might get from the S&P 500, uh, by combining them. And that's why I called it the ultimate buy-and-hold strategy, is because, for me, it was the safest way that I found. By the way, I didn't find it. The academics found it. Uh I, I simply showed it to people. But it was the best that I could find that gave me the sense that, I could improve the return for my family and for charities and things that matter over the long run without taking more risk. Okay. But I got to admit, Ken, when a part of the portfolio isn't doing as well and I could have all my money in the S&P 500, you know, there's always that feeling, oh, gee, if I had just had one fund, it would have been the right thing to do in the last few years. Well, you can always you can always point out something that would have been better. There is no risk in the past. We always know what we should have done. Sure. But I really like this strategy, and and I've tried to make it easy for people to use. I tell them how to do it at Vanguard. I tell them how to do it with ETFs, what we call best in class uh-huh. ETFs, and 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 to, to to tell people how to pick these asset classes and then how to put them together in a portfolio that should serve them well. And the word should should be in capital letters because who knows? Right. The future's unpredictable, but what you've done is, like you say, you studied the academics, studied the data, and this is historically has been a good strategy. So that it makes sense to me. Well, it, it has been. And I was mm-hmm. recently uh, spoke with a Dr. Craig Israelson, Okay. who uh, is one of the best teachers I've ever seen. And, and he has his own ultimate strategy. It includes commodities. Mine doesn't. Mm-hmm. His includes some other things that mine doesn't. Yeah. Good minds have found different ways to put these all together. But the one thing that they have in common is they have a lot of diversification. Yeah. That's one of the best tools. There's different types of risk. People need to understand that. And diversification is definitely one of the the best tools people can use to manage risk. And it's important they understand risk and the different types. I think most people think of risk in terms of buying a stock goes down in value or the market crashes. But then again, you have purchasing power risk and currency risks if you have foreign exposure and geopolitical. There's a lot of different types of risk to, to manage. Well, you know, one that that I worry about for people is the risk of fraud. Uh-huh. That's real. That that's that, that's as real as as a bear market is. Mm-hmm. And I also think one that's underappreciated is the risk of lost opportunity. I have okay. seen yeah. people who got themselves into those high tech investments way back in the late nineties, mm-hmm. and they're still waiting to get out of them when they can break even. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, they could have been in a much more diversified, less risky portfolio 
but they just couldn't give up the hope of at least getting back to where they started. We hate to take losses, but yeah, uh, sometimes yeah. a loss is a great opportunity for the future. Right. Take yeah, and have that's where discipline comes into it because it's it's an emotional thing. You think, well, if I hold it, it'll come back, and it can get worse and worse. And especially if it's an individual stock, of course, or a bond, you know that. Uh, yeah, that that can be a tough thing to to have disciplines. Um, and I think you just you just you just use the word emotions. Mm-hmm. Boy, there's another risk. Right, the emotional risk that we have. Uh, probably, in some ways, we are going to lose more money over our life because of our emotions than any bad individual stock you might have owned. Right. Fear and greed are the two that yep. play into it. And you can get easy to get too greedy when things are near the top, and it's also easy to get uh, scared when things start backing down. Instead of adding more money or sticking to your strategy, it's easy to panic and move everything to cash and then not get much return there. And by the way, therein lies the risk of market timing. I talk mm-hmm. to so many people who still, since 2008 and 2009, are trying to figure out how to get back in the market. Market timing, for people who don't understand it and don't know how to do it, is the probably the biggest risk that people can take because they turn temporary bear markets into permanent bear markets. Mm-hmm. And that's a financial killer. Mm-hmm. How can investors expect higher rates of return with your strategy, with your ultimate buy and hold, and add no more risk, just based on diversification well, mainly? Well, it is about diversification. Okay. Uh, the paper on my desk, in that article, we show the implications of starting with an all S&P 500 portfolio. Okay. Add 10% large value and see what happened to the risk and what happened to the return. Well, son of a gun, the return went up two-tenths of 1%, and the risk went, went down. Mm-hmm. A little bit of small cap, a little small cap value. And then soon you can see each and every step what the impact and what the impact. Uh, I can tell you if you did nothing then divide your money between the S&P 500 large cap value, small cap blend, small cap value, and REIT, and totally ignore the it's You would add almost 1% and have utility in terms of standard deviation. Okay. Are there some ETFs that work the best with that strategy? Yes, prefer? I mentioned earlier the best in class. Okay. If somebody said, uh, you know, I want to have some uh, uh, small cap emerging markets or small cap international stocks or or REITs, we have gone through. And by the way, I didn't do it. Somebody a heck of a lot smarter and patient <laughs> than I. Uh-huh. But Chris Pedersen, uh, who works with our foundation, uh, okay. donates his time. He's absolutely an amazing guy. He has looked at every of one of these major asset classes and he's looked at all of the ETFs that are available for each of those asset classes and picked out 
what he's considered to be the best, and he even writes an article. When people uh, go to the ETF on our homepage that they click on ETFs, go through not only to the article, but the record. Oops, okay. did I lose you? Yeah, there, yeah, you were cut out there for a second. Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Good. I, I apologize. But anyway, I, it, it, it's, uh, it's nice to have somebody smart uh, take on the project of, of which of these ETFs would be the best. Now, by the way, why would one be better than another? For expenses, more diversification. Mm-hmm. And if it's a small cap value, what about the size of the average small cap? What about the value orientation? Mm-hmm. And there are other factors that go into determining which ETF that work should be the best in the future. And uh, I, I hope your listeners will take a look. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like you said, with small cap value, there's you can define define value in different ways. Some people look at different metrics, you know, the cash flow, the price to free cash flow, price to book value, things like that. Yep. But they're not all identical, and you might get a strategy that uh, tends to do a little better over time. And you've mentioned in the past several times that, uh, you know, there's an area in finance that people should be aware of called academic, academic research. And study those academic studies because they're – they're important, you know. Great institutions like Harvard and so forth have produced them, and they, they make a lot of sense. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, something a lot of people overlook is the liquidity of ETFs. Mm-hmm. Some are way more liquid and easier to trade than others. Right. And so that means that when you do make changes, it's likely to cost you less in terms of the spread between the bid and ask. And by the way, uh, all of these uh, of these ETFs are available through Vanguard commission-free. Mm-hmm. And there's other, some of the other brokerages are doing the same thing now. So commission-free and very low expense to zero expense is a new trend. So that's good you for know, investors. It, it, it's a crazy, it really is a crazy thing. And I I teach uh, university students, and I and I tell them that investing has never been easier. It has never been better in terms of diversification. It has never been m- better defined because we have all this academic research, but what we have are tens of thousands of opportunities as to where we put our money, and it becomes mind-numbing a lot of people. I millennials, there are a ton of millennials that are sitting in cash because they don't like the they don't like the stock market. Wow, mm-hmm. where did they come up with that idea? Right. We're you're gonna take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Paul Merriman. Let's talk about that some more, Paul. Okay. To the show. Welcome back to Ken's Bulls and Bears Report. This is Ken Roberts on KCKQ, eleven eighty AM, speaking with Paul Merriman and we left off on a good point there before the commercial break. You're talking about millennials. I know there's some today who are reluctant to buy homes because they went through the housing crisis or saw their parents have issues with that. And there's some that are reluctant to invest in the market. Yep. And that's, you know, I think that's what happens when mm-hmm. people are exposed to a traumatic uh, event. And I think right. you're absolutely right. And that's the reason they're not 
buying homes, and they also saw their parents struggle with either one or two huge bear markets. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I was I was just thinking this morning earlier about something that happened to me uh, many many years ago. I used to own a jewelry making and lapidary equipment and supply uh, mail order uh, firm and. Mm. And uh, we'd go over to to uh, Hong Kong and and to uh, uh, I was in Taipei, uh, and they had what was considered to be the worst um, uh, earthquake in something like seventy five years, and I was there for it. Wow. And I was uh, along with my wife. I was on the twelfth floor, and I literally thought it was the end of my life. That building was was jumping. Uh, and it just scared the daylights out of me. Uh, fortunately, it was a relatively new building. It survived. But I can tell you, for days afterward, I every time there was an aftershock, I went into that mode of panic inside. I mean, I was so anxious. Mm-hmm. And then even flying back to the United States, and you'd hit an air pocket, and the and 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 the plane would 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 uh, shake <laughs> it it was the same kind of anxiety because it right. brought back at some at some uh, uh maybe my lizard brain was responding <laughs> but the fact is it really scared me and i think that happened to a lot of people they think that stocks are really a bad thing because they saw people hurt by them right. i don't blame them yeah but it's the wrong conclusion right and people like you say people learn from those kind of traumatic experiences and then they the fear takes over and don't realize that you know you got to have a long-term strategy and be prepared for things events like that and and ken i've heard so many times because i've been around this business since the mid-60s mm-hmm. uh, when i started in the brokerage business uh, and and I have heard people say maybe ten thousand times. Well, I invested and everything went down, and I just decided I was never going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And and so the cost of that lack of knowledge, and I don't blame them by the way. I see it. I see why. But the cost of that is horrendous. It includes probably having to work longer. It includes probably if you make these bad decisions when you're young, it makes it less likely that you'll turn things around and start being willing to take more risk later because the older you get, the more kind of panic you feel that, oh, my God, what if I get it wrong? I feel sorry for people who are sitting on a lot of cash right now trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and and so there is uh, just so many comes that are bad i even think i even think that you possibly teach some bad lessons to your own kids uh mm-hmm. and and have them concluding that investing is is not a good idea i was just back in madison wisconsin a month or so ago i had dinner with a couple who had set up iras for their 13 and 15 year old daughters who were actually working and making money they are teaching those kids all about what, how this works. They're not making them greedy, and you know they're not like 
Scrooge McDuck here, Mm -hmm. but they are at least aware of the implications of the stock market and the bond market in the long term. We've got to figure out how to help young people understand that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. One thing that would make sense is teaching, have financial education at at the high school level, at least have some courses and teach them about insurance and uh, investing and the base of how to just how to manage debt, the basic things like that, I think should be taught at that level before these kids get out and start working. Well, that's happening in the state of Washington. I, Good. I don't know what's going on there, but but uh, there is a movement uh, going on, and and uh, uh, there's a there's a, a website moneyskill.org, I believe it is, where there's a, a for high school kids. Uh, it's free, uh, okay. and the parents can help them uh, take this uh, online course. It's really great work. It was put together by a friend of mine who just passed away a few months ago, but it, oh. his work was just fantastic. Moneyskill.org. Okay. Yep. And now, you, one thing you read, wrote wrote about a while ago, um, how can an investor build a retirement portfolio like we've discussed with just two mutual funds? Oh, this is my, oh man, this is the most exciting part of my life right now because I I met with uh, John Bogle uh, in June of 2017, and he he really gave me a tongue lashing. He (laughs) said, I like your work, I believe in the stuff that you're teaching, but you're making it too complicated. I see. And, and, And he's right, when I'm trying to get people to use 10 equity funds and three bond funds to put together a portfolio, then I ask them to rebalance once a year. It is. It's too much. It was fine when I was managing it for people, but asking people to do it on their own, not so good. Mm-hmm. So went back to Chris Patterson. Boy, has uh-huh. he made a difference. I said, Chris, we've got to figure out a way to make this easy, but give them access to these other asset classes in a dirt simple way. And so the two funds for life is a combination of a target date fund. And by the way, if young people did nothing more than do a target date fund for the rest of their life, it'd probably be one of the smartest investment decisions they'd ever make. Sure. If they aren't going to take the time to understand this process. Yeah, it's better than not investing them, at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and then we show them how to add one fund to that target date fund. Okay. And by adding one fund... It, it adds potentially 1% to 1.5% a year return with very little additional risk. And so we have this website, twofundsforlife.com, and we tell people how to go do this at Vanguard or wherever they hopefully in their 401k plan. Okay. But, uh, to, but, but to see if they could not only use the target date fund, but ratchet up the risk theoretically just a little bit by putting the more value in the portfolio i think it's a home run mm-hmm. that makes sense to me to have some broad allocation and if people aren't going to do aren't going to invest at all or just want the simplest approach you know use the target date fund they have some disadvantages like everything does but then again if you're not going to follow it or manage it that's a better than not investing at all 
Well, and the target date fund, I think, Ken, is basically what people had with the pension fund. Mm -hmm. Somebody simply taking care of everything for you so you don't have to worry. The only thing is that in a pension fund, you didn't have any choice whether your money went in or not. And with a 401k, you do have that choice. So you can ruin your your retirement if you don't put that money away. But the target date fund takes care of everything from there on, literally all through the rest of your life. And by the way, as you know, Ken, there are better, some target date funds are very, very good Mm -hmm. and is so common, some are very, very bad. You want to learn how to tell the difference. Right. What, what kind of things do you look at with target date funds? We've got about a minute and a half left. but uh, Well, I, I would want them to be based on index funds. I want, uh-huh. the, I want okay. the expenses to be low. Mm-hmm. I want the diversification to be high. Right. Uh, I want to look at their what they call their glide path, because that's, okay. we all should have a glide path. Mm-hmm. How much in equity, how much in fixed income. Mostly you want to be in equity early on, but then as you get older, you got to start adding the fixed income. And they yeah. show you exactly what that glide path is yeah. uh, when they introduce the target date fund. And I don't want you to pay a load to buy it. No load okay. all the way. Okay. And that, that's good advice, Eric. Those expenses can make a big difference over time. Well, that load or that expense yeah. is one out of $12 million decisions mm-hmm. I think you all make, and that's the title of my new book coming out in a few months. So stay oh. tuned, Ken. Okay. I, I'm going to be working overtime here. Okay. And it's, What's the title again? Well, it's, it's a $12 million investment decision. Excellent. And expect it out maybe by the end of summer? Uh, by the end of the year. By the end of the year? Okay. Yeah. Yep, yep. Excellent. And will that be available for free on your website? Oh, man, you're putting the pressure on me Oh, now. okay. Yeah. Everybody is telling me, look, because I have self-funded the foundation. Okay. And the people who know me say, hey, why don't you just charge a little bit for the, for the books and okay. help them? Thanks for joining not- me, Paul.